And we get to be um, the eternal optimist or help churches change their mindset from scarcity to abundance. Because when you're working on the ground, it's easy to get in that scarcity mindset of, well, we only have this many people or we only have this much money or we only have this much time where I get to say, you have that much money. You have that many people. You have this time. What do we get to do with it? And kind of flip the script for them as an outsider. Welcome to the Missing Voices podcast. This podcast is all about youth ministry, young people on the margins of society and the church, and how we might better love, serve, and learn from those young people. We are convinced that these often overlooked or forgotten adolescents belong in the church and that our youth ministry should take them seriously. So, with each episode, we'll take a look at these ideas and together wrestle with what the future of youth ministry might just look like. I'm Rachel Davis, one of your co-hosts, and during this series, we will hear from some of our partners, coaches, theologians, and friends of the Missing Voices Project. So, without further ado, let's dive in. On today's episode of the Missing Voices podcast, Justin Forbes is speaking to Annalise Hume, a Princeton Seminary grad who is connected to this project through Ministry Architects. Annalise has been one of the coaches connected with our churches, supporting them and encouraging them on their journey through this grant project. At the time of recording, Annalise was working for Young Life, but more recently, she has taken a leap and begun serving as a spiritual director. She is currently working as an artist-in-residence with Nassau Presbyterian Church, in addition to other ministries, where she is facilitating workshops on movement and faith. Please enjoy today's episode with Annalise. Okay, everybody, we are here with Annalise Hume. Annalise, are you there? Yes, I'm here. All right. Thanks for joining us, Annalise. Annalise is a staff consultant with Ministry Architects. She is a strategic, creative, and resourceful youth worker with over 10 years of experience in parachurch, local church, and global missions youth ministry. Her experience with the parachurch ministry Young Life spans several years, where she has filled various roles such as area director and currently area developer, uh, where she is assisting with the starting of new ministries. Prior to Young Life, Annalise worked with adolescents in a historic Presbyterian USA church, Uh, and served with a South African-based performing arts ministry that focused on bringing together a diverse spectrum of young adults in an intentional living community. Annalise, we got to make sure we talk about that because I read that and thought, what? What is that? (laughs) So we'll we'll make sure to touch on that if we we, uh, have time. And she has an MDiv and an MA in Christian education from Princeton Theological Seminary and lives in Princeton, New Jersey with her husband, her baby son, and a woodle. A Wheaton Terrier Poodle, Mr. Stoffels. Stoffels. Is that right? Mr. Stoffels. Stoffels. I'm sorry. Please, no disrespect to Mr. Stoffels. Okay. A Woodle. I've never heard of a Woodle, um, but I've got all kinds of images in my mind. So, you know, that's probably good enough. So, but Annalise, thank you for jumping on the Missing Voices podcast with us here. Uh, I guess maybe it would be great for you to just give us, our listeners, give us a picture of how 
you are intersecting with our work at the Missing Voices Project. Yeah, so my role with Ministry Architects is as a staff consultant. And my understanding is that the Missing Voices Project hired or um, recruited ministry architects to join this project, to be a part of it and a partner in it with them. And our mission at Ministry Architects is healthy systems, innovative change for the future of the church. And I love that our mission statement and the work that the Missing Voices Project is doing align perfectly, that we are looking um, for innovative change to help the future of the church so that the church um, continues to be what God has created it to be in this world. Um, and ministry architects, we we focus a lot on the healthy systems so that the changes and the innovations that these churches are creating, creating can be sustainable for the future. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I just love how this partnership has come together. That's great. Yeah. You know, when we were writing this grant um, in the early days before this was a thing, uh, we had this beautiful vision of trying to listen to and attend to the voices of young people that had been historically marginalized. You know, the predominant model of youth ministry has made very little room for kids with disabilities or kids in foster care or kids in the queer community, whatever it might be, uh, just hasn't taken those voices seriously. And so we had this great idea of, gosh, what, what could we learn about youth ministry by attending to those voices? And as we started getting into it, we started to realize, oh my gosh, like if we don't offer support, to congregations as they try to go out and do this, whatever the this is, uh, it's it'll all be for naught, you know? So really the way that we imagined ministry architects coming alongside our congregations uh, is to really help focus on execution. And then what's great is that it's just a part of the DNA of ministry architects, or at least that's what I've experienced so far, uh, to be thinking creatively about pushing on the edges of what ministry looks like. So that's been a really cool fit. And so you, as a staff consultant with Ministry Architects, you're a part of the team from Ministry Architects who are interfacing with our congregations. Tell us real quick what that looks like for you personally. Yeah, so I personally am helping with two different projects. I got to sit in on one of the the trainings y'all had, the design thinking training. Um, Mm -hmm. I got to relay that information to our team so kind of be the middleman for that um, to help our team understand what your lead consultants were, or your lead innovators, excuse me, were going through. And mm-hmm. then um, beyond that, I get to work with these two congregations as they are creating their innovation and building it and testing it. I personally get to work with two of the congregations um, and they are building two different ministries, one focusing on kids in the foster care system and one focusing on adolescents with IDD or intellectual or developmental disability. And mm-hmm. with those two churches, I have helped create a blueprint um, that is mapping out this next year for both of them on where they're going, how we're going to test and implement their their proc- project Um, and continue to pivot and make changes along the way. And I get to once a month um, meet with these churches and just be a partner, be a sounding board and accountability person as we we grow and build this thing. I love it. I love it. And, you know, something we've talked about from the very beginning is, um, gosh, if you're not failing, you might not be trying something worth trying, you know, willing to take some risks. We have to 
have a, a part of our mindset uh, is an embracing of failure as educational. Like there's an opportunity bound up within each failure or experience of failure, or sometimes it's not failure, but it feels like failure. And we have to reframe that as an opportunity to learn, pivot, grow, keep moving, you know? Um, and so that's been really great to have you guys be a part of that. I will say, and this is not like a shameless plug or some sort of like marketing moment for ministry architects. Uh, but I guess it kind of is because that's what I'm about to make it. Um, but I will say the churches that have worked uh, with some of the ministry architects folks have called us and said that was the most helpful process that we've been through in years because I've had a vision, but I didn't really know how to get from here to there. And I feel like I know where I'm going now. So that's been awesome to get that feedback. Um, and as somebody who just cares about good ministry, I, I love the fact that there's that sort of support out there uh, from ministry architects. So we're super grateful to have you guys doing that work with us. Um, if there's anything that you want to share about that experience of working with those congregations, I mean, what has that been like? And uh, I mean, working with kids in the foster care community or, or in the intellectual developmental disabilities, uh, that community, those are some very particular niche groups. And what, what's that been like for you working with those congregations? Personally, I think it's always a little bit easier to be the person on the outside looking in. Um hmm. Because it gives me the freedom to push these churches a little bit harder. Um, Knowing that I'm not in the midst of this environment, in this culture with them, in this community with them. And when you're in the midst of the community, in this culture, and you're dealing with people you're seeing face to face, um, it's easy to get stuck on the day to day. What am I doing today? What, where am I going tomorrow? Um, But from the outside, I, I get to say, but are we reaching far enough? Is that mm. enough? Um, and I, I count that as an extreme privilege. Um, so mm. I am having so much fun being a part of these, even though, you know, I'm miles away in New Jersey from these churches in Florida, because I get to be the one that pushes just a little bit further. Um, yeah. Cause I'm not thinking about it day to day. Like they are like, they just, right. their hearts for these kids are, are so um, broken that they just want to do whatever they can. And I get to say, yeah, let's do that. And let's push yeah. a little bit further. And what a cool spot to be in. Sure. Sure. Oh, I bet that's so much fun for you uh, yourself, but then also just to watch them from a bit of a distance, a little bit of space in between the concept and the execution. So, um, but yeah, I love the idea too, that like you're not necessarily bogged down by what we have accepted to be constraints that maybe don't need to be constraints. You know, like when you're, when you're internal to a system of a congregation or to a community, you kind of think, oh, that'll never work. Or uh, you may not even know to ask this question or that question because, you know, it's just kind of been the way things are. So to have an outside person like yourself jump in and say, well, what about this? Or to push a little further, or that's great, but could we do this too? That, that might be a really helpful, helpful move. I'd love to hear that. Yeah. And we get to be um, the eternal optimist or help churches change their mindset from scarcity to abundance. Right. Because when you're working on the ground, it's easy to get in that scarcity mindset of, well, we only have this many people or we only have this much money or we only have this much time where I get to say, you have that much money. You have that many people. You have this time. What do we get to do with it? And kind of 
flip the script for them as an outsider. Yeah. What do you, I mean, your experience of helping people try to shift from that scarcity to abundance mindset, has there been any sort of consistent triggers or anything that's helped people move beyond that? I, I think that's a really big deal to, to try and move people from, oh, we could never do that or just sort of accepting what's always been versus, well, what's our vision? What's our hope? I mean, how do you help people do that? I think fundamentally it starts with trusting that God has given what you need and reminding people of that, that God has given you what you need to do what God is calling you to do. Hmm. And then from there, it's almost making it into a game with the understanding of design thinking that constraints are a good thing. Constraints lead to creativity. And so when we can take our constraints and flip it to understanding it almost as a game, like this is this is the hand we've been dealt. What do we get to do with it? How right. can this lead to creativity? And it often, I think, takes an outside voice to help flip that. Right. So does like every consultant for the Ministry Architects organization have to be a seven on the Enneagram? <laughs> no, I am not a seven. So <laughs> definitely Eternal not. optimist, like, oh, we've got coronavirus. Great. What can we do with this? Uh, it is funny though. I mean, the... But I can say it's a lot easier to be that person from the outside. Oh, like even in yeah. my ministry on the ground, I love when I get an outside perspective because it's so much easier to be playful when it's not what you're doing day to day. Oh, of course. Yeah. You don't have to carry the bag at the end of the conversation. I mean, like that's a different deal. Yeah. Um, but I do love that idea of constraints. You know, constraints are constraints and we have them placed upon us regardless of what we want, right? Whether it's budgetary or, or time or personnel or whatever it might be. But I do think our own team here at Flagler College, as we've been leading the Missing Voices Project, you know, we got about six months, nine months or so into things with congregations and then coronavirus hits and we have this crazy shift of reality. And it'll be that way probably through the end of the grant, you know, for the next year or so as we, uh, you know, figure out what this looks like. And so, gosh, like we have said, man, we wanted to encourage people to, you know, come up with innovative expressions of youth ministry that are focused on young people at the margins. And in the very beginning, it just looked like every congregation was going to try and do the same thing they had always done before, but for kids in the foster care system. Right? Yes, yes. Well, That's what churches yeah. are doing right now. <laughs> right, yeah. And But what we're seeing is that like, actually the constraints of coronavirus are pushing everyone in youth ministry, not just in the Missing Voices Project or people that are looking at innovation as a mentality or a mindset for youth ministry. It's pushing everyone to say, okay, what are the core truths of who we are and what we're trying to do in ministry and how do we do that in this current situation? So I actually have thought many times like, well, this is really going to call us out and, and help sort of push us to, to move closer to something that might look uh, like innovation or might look like something new in the first place. New is not always better. And I do think sometimes we have an obsession with innovation as if it's going to be the silver bullet. Um, and most of the most innovative things I've seen are actually a return to some of the oldest core practices of youth ministry in the first place. So I, I don't want to like buy into the, the Kool-Aid of innovation solving all problems. But I do think that the reality of playing with constraints and trying to look at them as an opportunity versus just a negative uh, can really push people along. So I love that. I think it brings us back, and this may be jumping ahead, but 
to design thinking and what it can speak to us as Christian educators, as um, ministers in the church. Um, I think the most meaningful thing we can take from it is the empathize step. Mm. Um, I think as people in youth ministry, we often think we do this well. Mm. We hang out with youth. We know what they need. But what I actually see people doing is taking what they think kids need and putting it on them. Even from the from the biggest thing of like they need Jesus. <laughs> right, right. Instead of taking the first step of getting proximate, getting intimate with people, asking the hard questions to find out what they need and how they communicate that need, how they feel that need. Yeah. Okay. And, so wait, before we go on with this, I want to pause you real quick because if, if you're listening to this episode, you'll need to make sure that you go back a few episodes earlier and listen to the sort of introduction to design thinking episode with Justin Farrell from Stanford university. We, we brought Justin in to work with our congregations on design thinking as a set of tools for how to imagine approaching new youth ministry expressions. And so um, what Annalise and I are talking about right now are, or is this step that has a focus of empathy. And so I love where you're going, Annalise, because I feel like what you're trying to say is that like, while we think we're doing the work of empathy, we're often not actually doing that. We're just projecting our own understanding of what we think we heard without ever listening in the first place. Is that what you're saying? Or Exactly. Exactly. Go for it. Yeah. What Justin taught me was that if we want to design something that will be used by people, whether it's a program, a ministry, um, an actual item, um, we want to design something that people will use. It has to fit a need to, it has to fill a need and fit into their lives in a meaningful way. So it needs to fill a need and fit into their lives and to design something meaningful we need to understand their behavior and their beliefs. And so instead of projecting our belief of what they need on them, we have to understand their beliefs on their terms already. Mm-hmm. And so design isn't just about building something that will fulfill the need we think they need. It's about first listening really well. Um, instead of saying they need community, so we're going to build a youth group that will provide that community Well, is that actually what they need? Maybe they have a peer group already that is filling that need, Mm -hmm. but they need something else. And so the first step is getting proximate, right? And that's, there's no substitute for that, for actually Mm -hmm. engaging with people in their environment on their turf. Mm -hmm. Because unless we engage, we won't understand these implicit needs. If we're Mm -hmm. just observing them, the best we can get to is their explicit needs but we got to step in closer and listen well to get to these implicit needs. Hmm. Wow. How do you do that? (laughs) (laughs) Just lay it out in like three simple points, Annalise. Yeah, right. Three simple points. No, I mean, it takes time. It's hard work. It's relationships. Yeah. Yeah. There's no quick fix to that. Yeah. Um, but it's getting in kids' lives and listening really well and asking good questions, right? It's right. what Jesus did. <laughs> like, he got in right. and he asked questions and that's what we need to do. Hmm. 
You know, it's funny you, when you're when you're talking about that. It makes me think of Mandy Drury's book, "Saying Is Believing," and yes, her, yes. her focus on testimony. Because uh, where she goes with some of that is just to say, "Hey, look, there's a real value." <clears throat> excuse me. She says there's a real value to creating space for young people to articulate their stories and to tell their stories. Well, the other side of that is that you are you have a group of people that are listening, mm-hmm. and you know she talks about the idea that. Um, isn't it odd that we would think that a young person would not have something to say as if the Holy Spirit that uh, abides in them is a Holy Spirit junior, quote unquote, you know, like, is this a Holy Spirit junior or is it the Holy Spirit? Well, that doesn't really make much sense. It's the same Holy Spirit that lives in me, that lives in you, lives in this, you know, middle schooler. Uh, And so why would we assume that the middle schooler has nothing prophetic or profound or provocative to say? Uh, Maybe we should listen. You know, and so one of the things that we set up within the Missing Voices Project early on <clears throat> was that every design team uh, would have to have at least a young person or two as a part of the team themselves. So we realized that there needs to be, you know, some adults that are a part of the team because they're going to go and be able to bring resources to bear for the young people. But gosh, like we've been pretty committed to there's not going to be a meeting where any decisions are made that doesn't have a young person in there. Uh, and that we're going to try and build a culture from the very beginning that says, hey, why would you make decisions about them without them? Like there's there's no way to do that um, that would actually resonate or make sense for the young people, which is really built off what you're saying. Like you think you've been listening. Mm, maybe not. Maybe mm-hmm. not. So you took this uh, this training from Justin Farrell, the design thinking work, and you went to your team to help them sort of integrate that and to take that training and, and to have the tools that our folks are using. Did anything jump out to you uh, specifically about that work that you think, gosh, I wish every youth minister would understand this or would, would hear this sort of core message? I think the big thing that stood out for me and has even helped change some of my ministry is that design thinking is fundamentally about understanding someone else's behavior. And I think Hmm. I have always been someone who thinks they're a creative problem solver. And he helped me understand that it's not about problem solving. It's actually about how we frame the problem. And the thing that will always stick with me, he showed this picture of a little girl in front of this Um, wall of bookcases and she was reaching for a book and he asked the question what does this little girl need and everyone said the book or you know some sort of answer similar to that she needs the thing she's reaching for the book and he said that's a noun and so often we frame a problem around a noun which is actually framing the problem around the solution the object and when we're framing the problem around the solution, the object, the answer is already there. She needs the book. So we get her the book and then we're done with that question. Mm-hmm. But when we frame it around a verb, so her actual need is to reach, the floodgates open of possible solutions. Uh. And we can get creative. So when we frame it, the problem around a behavior, it opens us up to much more creative possibilities. And that was huge for me of framing things around verbs rather than nouns, framing 
problems around the verb rather than the noun, because it opens us up to so many more creative options that we aren't stuck trying the same thing over and over. Hmm. So what we create depends on how we ask the question. Reframing the problem from a product or a service to the behavior we're trying to encourage can lead to much more creative solutions. Okay, play that out for me in the context of youth ministry. Like what's an example of what you're talking about? So I think I've heard youth pastors say youth need community. Community is a noun. We build a youth group. We get some kids in a room. Voila, we've solved the problem. Well, what if youth actually need to be known rather than community? Then our solution opens up. There's a lot of different ways to be known. You can be known in a community, but you can be known from an adult, a one-on-one relationship. You can be known by a peer. You can be known um, by telling your story to an audience, right? So it just opens it up to giving us more room to play more room to breathe, more room to experiment than just saying um, the community is the answer. So we must yeah. build the community. Does that yeah. make sense? Yeah, yeah, it does. I mean, I, I'm just trying to think through. I mean, I, I think, number one, I'm aware I'm just so entrenched with problem solving as a mindset. Yeah. You know, and so it, it's hard to try and, you know, shake loose from that. Um, but I do think that, uh, like, in the context of the Missing Voices Project, where we are focusing on young people that are, uh, there's like an extra thing, right? Whether that's poverty or whether that's, um, you know, stereotypes and, and social and religious pressures around sexuality or whatever it might be. There's an extra thing that creates this hurdle. And that exposes the fact that like our solutions to these problems that we consider to be problems, right? Like, oh, this kid is not a part of the church or this kid, the church is not reaching that family or loving and serving that family very well. It just exposes that a lot of the times when we have this problem solving mindset, that it's pretty shallow and that it doesn't actually attend to the whole person. It doesn't really address the whole situation. Back to the girl reaching for the book, <clears throat> you hand her the book, nothing has changed. You know, like mm-hmm. <clears throat> she can't reach another book. She can't, she can't, you know, have access to anything else. She just has that one book for that moment. And so it it hasn't affected a system in any way that is significant or profound or unique. So my church that's working with students with IDD or disabilities, Mm -hmm. they interviewed several students that had IDD. And one of them in particular um, loves dogs, right? And so his answer was he wants dogs at church. That would make church fun. And so you could stop there and just say, well, we need to get dogs at church, right? That's the, the, just make it a dog friendly church. There we go. It sounds good to me. Yeah. Yeah. But unless we interrogate and ask why and continue to ask why and dig under, we won't get to the real need that he has, right? Hmm. He wants dogs at church. Follow me on this. He wants dogs at church because he create, he cooks and bakes dog treats. So if there's dogs at church, he can bring his dog treats to contribute to the community. 
Oh, wow. So he wants a way not just to be a part of this community, but to actually contribute. He wants to be a meaningful member of this community with a way to contribute. And so we need to get to that, (laughs) that underneath the answer of I want dogs at church. (laughs) Right. So while this young person might have been aware, like, hey, here's a concrete way that I know I can contribute. I make dog treats. We could actually say, hey, there are 10 other ways that you can contribute in meaningful ways that maybe we've just never been willing to create space for you to lead in that way. Right. I mean, is that that's what you're getting at? Yeah, Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So go from problem solving to problem finding to understanding uh, really what's behind that. I love that. Hmm. How does that resonate with you as a Christian educator, thinking about discipleship, about formation, things like that? They're trying to put it in the digital form where we actually have this opportunity when behaviors are changing to stop and really study and lean into human behavior, which is at the root of design thinking. And so it's these opportunities that we get to understand people better and understand their unique needs in this time. So maybe pre-pandemic, what we are doing was fulfilling needs that people had. And instead of just taking those and trying to change them, put them online or in Zoom, how do we stop, lean in, understand human behavior now and what people have as needs now, and then use our skills working in a diverse team to create meaningful products or programs for them now? It's just so interesting, like the discipline to reframe the questions and to, to not, I, I think on some level, we have to interrogate our questions and make sure that we're asking good questions and, and uh, maybe getting to the right answer isn't nearly as important as asking the right questions or better questions, maybe is, a, is the right way to say that. But um, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I think that this idea of, of trying to listen well to the reality of the young people to get into their world, to understand what it is they're needing uh, based more on their behavior, based more on their perspective than just our assumptions. That to me seems like the heavy lifting that's required here. And and you seem to keep going back to that again and again. There's one phrase that came up in the design thinking training that I locked onto, especially it's called the the perspective of the extreme user and Mm -hmm. our need to try and take that into consideration and then allow that to be something that becomes, you know, I guess, fruitful uh, for others, which, you know, in, in the world of the Missing Voices Project, our assumption has been we'll learn something about youth ministry, for example, from teen moms that would be applicable for all of youth ministry, you know, youth ministry writ large. I wonder, how does the sort of experience of the extreme user as a phenomenon, how does that resonate with you in terms of Christian education, formation, ministry? Uh, and then specifically, I'm thinking about your work that you did uh, at Princeton Seminary on uh, pedagogy and discipleship and the way in which that was, um, you know, could be reimagined with the whole body and the whole person. Would you share a little bit about your work you did there and how that maybe connects to this idea of the sh- extreme user and, and what we're up to here? Yeah, so there's a lot in there. So let me see if I can pull um, it up. I just asked like 10 questions. That's my bad. <laughs> Okay, so first we can talk about my thesis. I 
was at Princeton Theological Seminary after getting a dance degree. So my my undergrad, I have a BFA in modern dance. And like for Princeton Seminary, right? Yeah. So now I'm at Princeton Seminary and my dance degree means nothing. And I'm sitting in these classes trying to figure out how my my knowledge of dance that I don't think God wants to waste, because I don't believe we serve a God of waste, wants to use that with this theological education. At the same time, being extremely frustrated that my body and the knowledge my body holds means nothing in this new community. At the same time, I was diagnosed with dyslexia during my master's study. And so realizing this way as a dancer I have learned was built for someone that learns like I do. But now I'm in this new environment that is not built for people that learn like I do. And being frustrated by that, knowing that these pastors or future pastors and teachers and theologians were being educated in a way that they would replicate in their future congregations, in which those congregations were filled with people that didn't necessarily learn the same way they did. Right. So I'm sitting in these classes with all all this kind of swirling in my head, thinking, well, we need to change the way that we train and teach and practice our faith and our theology so that we are integrating the body, the mind, the body, and the soul. And these dualisms, body, mind, body, soul, have been alive since the beginning of the church, right? We just need to look to Paul to see (laughs) um, that this dualism. And so I wanted to play with the idea of how do we teach in a way that takes these three things into consideration, the body, the mind, and the soul, not upholding one above the other, um, not erasing any difference between them, but just saying all three are really important. And so I did that um, by teaching Bart, theologian Bart, um, understanding of what it means to be human. So I took this deep theological work um, and taught it to adolescence through movement. So we would meet for an hour and 15 minutes and I would limit the like traditional talking answer type of pedagogy to 15 minutes. And the rest of the time would be spent either moving or journaling about their experience. And it was so fun to see how they made these connections between their bodily experience and what they were reading, learning in scripture and through theology. Wow. So that's my thesis, right? So putting all these things together. Now, the reason I did that was because I was an extreme user. I found myself in this environment, in this culture where I didn't really fit in or didn't feel like I fit in. It didn't feel like it was built for me or with me in mind. And so I built something that fit me, (laughs) that matched my story. And in my work on innovation, I have found that to be often the case, that often the best innovators are the people that have found themselves as extreme users and then end up building something that fits them and their story. Yeah, that's good. And so I think the church, if we listen to these extreme users, if we listen to these people that aren't in our church buildings, that aren't already part of our congregations, and approach them as if they have knowledge 
because they do. <laughs> As if. <laughs> As if, right? That's often right. what I felt like in seminary. Like the knowledge I had wasn't important. Right. That's great and all, but that's not what we're doing here. Well, yeah. yes. Right. And so if we approach people that aren't part of our congregations as the expert hmm. that they are as to why they are not part of our congregation, we have we <laughs> learn a lot. Right. Well, usually it's framed as like, you know, look, we, we made a great youth group or we did a thing and like they don't come. Something's wrong with them or there's a criticism of them for not coming. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think one of the things that's really interesting in our research, the first, uh, the first round of qualitative research related to the Missing Voices Project, one of the things that we're seeing is that these young people are creating spaces where ministry is happening without waiting for the church. Like they're just going ahead and, and sort of under the assumption that like, okay, I'm a Christian. My friend was sort of kicked out of their church for coming out. I'm going to create space for that kid in my own life and in my youth group. And I'm not going to wait for the church to say it's okay or for the church to say we should do it. I'm just going to do it because we've been talking about this idea that we love our neighbor and that all are welcome under the grace of God. Okay. Well, then the natural conclusion is that this kid belongs here too. Yeah. So it's hilarious that these young people are effectively going out ahead of the church and doing ministry in a way that we would love to be doing ministry often. Um, and they're just not going to wait for the sort of archaic institution of the church to follow because the church is not agile enough or nimble enough to make those shifts and those pivots. And these young people are saying, we're just going to go do it. Uh, and so it's interesting that you say they design it for themselves or maybe for the things that they're painfully aware of in front of them. Yes. Um, because, and, and why I guess the fruit of all that is that we need to be listening to that. Yes. And it's not new. I mean, this is just rhyming with the <laughs> rest of history. <laughs> right? Wait, wait, tell me more about that. What, do you, what, what made you want to say it's not new? That's really a funny response. I love that. I mean, how many times have revivals in the church come from youth? Right. Okay. Every time, yeah. maybe? <laughs> right. I see. I see. Yeah. Well, it's, I, I just love, I mean, even the Missing Voices Project itself, is in the very first episode of this podcast, I think we talk about it in that episode. It's born out of this experience that I have with a young man named James. And I was just so profoundly impacted for the rest of my life by this young man, James, who had profound disabilities, was nonverbal, things like that. And he died and I had to do his funeral or I got to do his funeral. And I had to put words to what it was that I experienced in this person, which is, by the way, what your project was, a theological anthropology. And so in that opportunity or in that moment of being pushed to speak of James's life, I had to try and reconcile the fact that he didn't um, have the capacities that we typically talk about at a funeral. He wasn't an athlete or didn't have great grades. He didn't have a job or a business or a family or a wife or children or whatever, like the things that we would typically talk about, you know, successes and accolades. Uh, instead, he was this beautifully profound human that I encountered the love of God in. And so we had to sit there and say, okay, what does it look like if James becomes the trendsetter? If James sets the bar for who we want to include and make room for in ministry, and in fact, let lead different aspects of ministry, well, what does it look like? I mean, that's a different set of questions altogether. That would be an extreme user. <laughs> Yeah, it goes, 
back to, or not back, we haven't talked about it, but I think of Dr. Erin Rafferty's research and she has a book coming out. Um, But the idea that if we're all made in the image of God, the Trinitarian understanding of Imago Dei, if we're made in the image of God, um, we're called into ministry by Jesus and the same spirit lives in us as lives in all our adolescent friends with different abilities, with disabilities, with different interests, with different ethnic culture groups, what have you. They also have leadership in the church because they have the same spirit, right? So it's that Trinitarian understanding of we are all called to lead in the church and ministry will look different if we take that serious. Right. You know, it's funny, usually the anxiety that prompts this question of innovation is one of very pragmatic concern. Oh, our church numbers are down, giving is down. What's the church going to look like in the future? None of that motivates me. I don't really care about any of that, if I'm honest. Um, I'd be fine if a bunch of churches died. There's probably a lot of churches that should die. But I'm confident that the church of Jesus Christ is going to uh, continue to reimagine itself and take new shapes, you know, effectively give itself in new wineskins again and again and again. <clears throat> and I think that it's these extreme users who are sort of opening doors for us to imagine what that could look like. Uh, and, and what I hear you saying more and more is that, you know, the work that we're trying to do in the Missing Voices Project, the work that you're doing as a consultant, the work that you did in your thesis uh, is one of listening and attending to these new doors that might have been opened for us so that we could say, well, what would youth ministry at its core look like over here? Or if we took seriously, you know, embodiment as a way of learning, how could we talk about, you know, what it means to be human as created in the image of God, even with Karl Barth, who I love, right? Yep. But when I read the dogmatics, I don't really come across, uh, you know, what you're talking about. That's a different layer to apply, which is great. So, so fascinating. So many things. It's so good. And it's so not new, right? Like as you're talking, I'm just thinking about Jesus and who he hung out with and he hung out with the extreme user and that's who he built his church on. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. That's good. The church of Jesus Christ being built uh, on around the extreme user. You know, one of the one of the things that we've been playing with in the Missing Voices Project so far has been this idea of practices that decenter and recenter the our understanding of youth ministry. So, what would it look like not just to um, use like inclusive language, for example, like "Hey, kid, that's not really been you know included in our youth ministry before." Now you're welcome, you know, Um, rather than doing that, reimagining our ministries with these other young people at the center, not just lopped on, but themselves at the center. Um, And the response that we've had from the young people who are on the design teams as a part of the Missing Voices Project has been unbelievable. I mean, like it's I wish that you could see and you will eventually this this will all be put together and published. But the voices of these young people saying, I never thought that there was a you know, any other church in the country that would care about kids like me, you Mm -hmm. know, or I couldn't imagine that, you know, a whole project or a whole conference would be designed around, you know, making space for people like me in youth ministry. 
And so I, I hear all that and I'm going, oh my gosh, like you read the gospels, just like you said, you read the gospels and this is who Jesus is with all day, every day. Uh, I, I just, I feel like that has to be the impulse of our ministries. As we come to the end of our podcast here, what sort of encouragement or how would you want to uh, spur on the youth workers that might be listening to this episode? I think go through your story. We all have experiences of feeling left out or on the margin or loving someone that was left out or on the margin and use that as your springboard to move in, to move closer, to get proximate. And then as you do, take the position of learner. Mm. Be the learner from the expert of the person on the margin. Not moving in as if they have to teach you, but moving in with humility that they are an expert in something already and that you want to learn what that is and learn from them. Annalise, I think that's a provocative idea to assume the position of being the student, to assume the position of being the learner and to move from there under this working assumption that, hey, this young person, whoever they might be with whatever situation they might be within, they are the expert on themselves. And at the end of the day, we care about learning from, loving, serving, walking with those young people. Mm. That's a big deal. Yeah. I mean, we don't have to check our wisdom at the door. No. <laughs> right? We get no. to bring the wisdom of our life experience with us as we move in. But gosh, I, if nothing else, I hope that we become better listeners. Hmm. That'll preach. <laughs> All right, Annalise, would you be willing to offer a benediction of sorts or a blessing for our youth workers as we close our time together? Friends, listen well and love well. Forget everything about innovation because what innovation is, is loving well. It's mm -hmm. loving so deeply that you would do anything to hear out, to lift up, and to elevate the ministry and leadership of these kids. And so do that. You are already equipped. You are already enough for that. Mm. Amen. <laughs> Annalise, thank you for your time. Thank you for your work with Ministry Architects and as a part of the Missing Voices Project. I think this is going to be really fun to watch this play out over the next year, year and a half or so. Um, and I hope we have more conversations where we can share all the things we're learning. This is so good. So thank this you. This was a blast. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much to today's guest. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Missing Voices podcast. If you are loving these episodes and want to be one of the first to hear about a new episode being released, make sure you subscribe to this podcast. And you can also check us out on Instagram and Facebook and see what we're up to in St. Augustine at Flagler College Youth Ministry. Mm -hmm.